Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So we, uh, this is our second, our second Sunday in our short series on spiritual gifts. We usually choose a book from the Bible and we preach through it. But we decided to take a few Sundays this this summer to talk about some other uh, topics, topics that we believe are important for us as a church to understand. And one of these topics that really, if you think about it, doesn't get talked a lot about among our kind of churches, if you know what I mean. Uh, so we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, and um, we want the Word of God to dictate what we believe about gifts. We want God Himself to be the one telling us through His Word what we should believe. And so we chose, you know, even though we said that we were going to preach a, on a, on the topic of spiritual gifts, because you know we just can't get away from preaching through the Bible in, in order. We chose to go through 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, which are a section in Scripture that, that speaks about the spiritual gifts. There are other sections like Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4.10 uh, and a few others, Ephesians 4. Uh, but we chose this particular section because it, it's more concentrated. The teaching in, in spiritual gifts is a lot more concentrated and it's, it's talking specifically about the spiritual gifts. Um, so let's, let's pray and let's ask for God's guidance. God, we thank you for, for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us first and foremost through your son, Jesus. We praise you for your son, Jesus. We praise you for the work of salvation that he has done for us. We thank you that you sent him, Father, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross on our behalf. And we thank you that he rose again and that he was exalted the right, at, at your right hand And we thank you that he sent his Holy Spirit, just as he promised you would do. And thank you that with the Holy Spirit, we are empowered with gifts and and service and, and works to build up the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this topic, that you would give us guidance, that you give us understanding that you would open our hearts and our minds and that your Holy Spirit would be teaching us today, Lord, that these wouldn't be my words, but that they would be your words, God, that you would teach us today through your Holy Spirit. Please glorify your name, glorify the name of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so my original plan was to do verse 12 in one week, 
verse, that, sorry, chapter 12 in one week, chapter 13 in one week, and then chapter 14 in another week. But of course, things just never go according to plan. And so I decided to, to uh, stay in chapter 12 one more Sunday because I, I, I just feel like there is so much there. And, and I feel like last week was a good introduction to the spiritual gifts. But, but I, I, wanted to, I wanted us to dig a little bit deeper into, uh, into chapter 12. So let's read. Let's just read the whole, past, the, the whole chapter again. Chapter 12. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, or no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God, who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To, to another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and sorry, are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, 
but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnest, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of God. All right, so one of, one of the, the main topics that I want us to, to focus on today um, is how the baptism in the Spirit makes one body with many members out of a diverse group of people. Let me say that again. The baptism in the Spirit makes one body with many members out of a diverse group of people. So I, I really think that Paul's focus in this passage, in this entire passage, even though he talks about the different kinds or some of the different kinds of gifts, I really think that his focus is the diversity and the unity of the church, of the body of Christ. I, I really think that that's what he's trying to get at here. And I mean, in some places it is really obvious, like in verse 12, right? He says, for just as the one body is one, sorry, for just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So we see here the unity of the body and the, the, the diversity of the members within the body. Same thing in verse 12. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And he repeats that. Um, Verse 15, if, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Well, sorry, he doesn't repeat the exact same, same phrase. But the point is, he is trying to emphasize that the body is diverse, is made out of many members, but it is one body. And one of the things that I don't want us to overlook, which... I feel like the like when when I preached through this last Sunday, I myself overlooked is the subtle reference that Paul makes to the Trinity. So, um, if you go back to verse four, chapter twelve, verse four, he says, "Now there are vari varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord." And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And so I think that one of the main points here is that the doctrine of spiritual gifts is a Trinitarian doctrine. It's a doctrine that flows from the, 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 from the triune God. So think about it. First of all, a lot of the times we think of the spiritual gifts as coming from the Spirit. Right? And I mean, I think that is 
completely true. That's how Paul refers to them multiple times. They come from the Spirit. It is the Spirit, the one who apportions the spiritual gifts as he wills. It is the Spirit who empowers people for these gifts. Um, it is uh, through the Spirit that these gifts are given. But the fact that it is through the Spirit, it doesn't mean that the Father or that the Son are any less involved in this uh, giving of the spiritual gifts. And so in this passage, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that each, each member of the Trinity only, you know, the Spirit only gives gifts and Jesus only gives service and God the Father only gives empowerment for, you know, for, for the spiritual gifts. But rather, it means that the whole Trinity is involved in this, in this process of giving of the, of the spiritual gifts. So, for example, you know, just to, to help us think a little bit more about this concept of, of how God works uh, in, in his triune nature. When we go to John 16, you don't have to get there, but you don't have to go there. But when Jesus is praying for the Holy Spirit to come, um, he says that the Spirit will not speak of his own authority, but he will take what Jesus, what is Jesus's, and he will declare it to the disciples. So the Holy Spirit is working. Uh, it, it is working not on his own authority. He's actually telling the disciples. He is actually telling us the things from Jesus. The Holy Spirit is, is glorifying Jesus like we saw last Sunday. And then we see that uh, later in verse, um, or sorry, in John 14, 17, that's earlier, Jesus tells them, Jesus tells his disciples that the Spirit will indwell in them. The Spirit will live in them. But then you go, you go forward to verse 23, and Jesus tells them that God the Father and Jesus will make their home in the believer. So what is it? Is the Holy Spirit indwelling us, or is Jesus indwelling us, or is the Father? Well, I would say yes, right? It, even though, you know, doctrinally in our theology books, we will see that, you know, it is the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Well, because the Holy Spirit is God, and because the Holy Spirit is working in tandem, you know, with the Father and the Son, it's God. It's God who is indwelling us. And so in the same way, even though the Holy Spirit is the one who in our theology books we see as the one giving us this, the, the gifts, it is God, the triune God, giving us the gifts. And we could see, you know, in this passage, in, in chapter 12, uh, you know, if we were to separate it a little bit more, we could say, okay, the Spirit is the one that, that gives us the gifts. And Jesus is the one who, is, um, who teaches us how to serve one another, right? When Jesus was here on earth, he was the, the perfect example of service. And he not only teaches us that, but he, he uh, actually, by his death on the cross, he gives us the power to actually serve others. And we could also say that the Father, God, is the one who gives us the power to practice these gifts, to, to exercise these gifts. And so we see how the triune God is involved in this giving of the gifts. But this is not the only way in which the, the doctrine of the Trinity or the knowledge of the triune God is involved in the, in the giving of the spiritual gifts. 
one of the interesting things that, that I think Paul is doing here. Well, sorry, actually, I'm, I'm skipping a little bit forward. Another way in which the triune God is involved in the giving of the spiritual gifts is through the work of Jesus, because he is the one who baptizes us in the Spirit. So if you go forward to verse 12, it says, For just as the one body, I'm sorry, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the Holy Spirit. So usually when we think about salvation, we think of the work of Jesus on the cross, right? We think, okay, so salvation, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose again, and therefore I'm saved. And yes, absolutely. I, I do not want to diminish that in any possible way. But I think that we also need to think about the work of the triune God in our salvation. God is the one who, God the Father sent the Son. And Jesus lived his life by the Spirit. And he died on the cross. And he was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit. And when he ascended, he was exalted. He ascended into heaven. He sent the Spirit. But here's one interesting thing that happens to us when we believe in Jesus. When God saves us, we are immediately baptized with the Holy Spirit. When we receive salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit with salvation. And this is what Paul is saying here. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. This means that when we believed in Jesus, and we received the Holy Spirit, we were immediately made a part of the body of Christ. We were immediately made a part of the church. Now, why, why is this important? Well, one of the reasons why it's important, and, and I don't want to get too much into this, but historical, traditional Pentecostal theology teaches that when you are saved, Maybe you receive, you know, a little bit of the Spirit, but then you have to seek a second experience of grace or a second experience of empowerment by the Holy Spirit. And it is then when you can speak in tongues and, and, and you know, perform some of these gifts. And I would say, well, it doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. In Scripture, where what we read is that as soon as we believe in the gospel, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit fully. And as soon as we believe in the gospel with the Holy Spirit, we receive, we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 1.13, he tells the Ephesians, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So when we believe in the gospel, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into, in, sorry, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Remember what John the baptizer told uh, his disciples when he saw Jesus? He said, this is, you know, 
this, um, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the, sin, away the sin of the world. And then he goes on to talk about his baptism. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So in our salvation, God is the one saving us through the work of his son, Jesus. And Jesus is the one baptizing us in the Spirit. And in this baptism in the Spirit, we are taken from the dominion of darkness and we are placed in the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We are taken from belonging to the devil and we are taken and made a part of the body of Christ. We are given the Holy Spirit to drink. Just think about this. When you are saved, you are made a part of a new community. Think about it. The church is now your first and foremost community. The church should have your first and foremost allegiance. Why? Because God has made you a part of the body of Christ, his church. That is now your main identity. You are a member of the body of Christ. One of the implications of this, and, and I, I hesitate to, to even bring this topic because I know that it's a, it's, a very, uh, it's a very hot topic today and it's a complicated topic, but we have heard many talks about racial reconciliation. And without getting into detail and at the risk of overly simplifying the matter, I do believe that this passage has a lot to bear in this discussion. Because notice how in verse 13 he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so what we need to know is that the only way that racial reconciliation or really any form of reconciliation will come about is by the reconciling power of the gospel. In other words, if we want to see reconciliation happen, the, the fastest and most effective way to see reconciliation happen is through the preaching of the gospel. Because it is only when we preach the gospel and people are saved that they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and that they are made a part of one body. Mankind has been uh, um, in, in, in a broken relationship with one another for ages. Since Adam and Eve sinned against God. Adam blamed Eve. Then their sons, one killed the other. And from that moment on, mankind was in hatred towards one another. And the only possible thing that can truly and ultimately resolve the problem of sin and hatred towards one another is the blood of Jesus. And is the, the, the baptism of the Spirit is being brought into the same family. And obviously, as people who have been redeemed and as people who have been brought into the same family and as people who understand that everyone is created in the image of God, well, that has implications for us. But 
again, I said, I, I, I don't want to get into that too much. I just want us to think a little bit about this. Now, moving on, one more thing derived from the doctrine of the Trinity, of the Trinity and really what, get, what leads us to Paul's main point is that the church is one body that is manifested in many members. So the, the, the unity of the church, the unity of the body of Christ, and the, and the um, diverse nature of the members of the body of Christ is really nicely illustrated by the Trinity, right? Because we believe in one God, a unity, right? One God. But we also believe in a God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are inseparable, right? They are one God, but each member of the Trinity, they have a specific role, right? The Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who sends us on mission, right? And, and you know, we can get into, into the doctrine of Trinity, and, and it's a, it's a, it is a really complicated topic. But really what I want us to understand here is that this idea of having a unity and having different members. And so in the same way, we can think, for example, of marriage, right? What happens when a, when a man and a woman get married? They become one. They become one flesh. They become one unity, one unit. They are two people, but they are one flesh. And so, you know, following that logic, what happens when someone is baptized in the Spirit into the body of Christ? It means that we are one church, but this church is composed of many members. Right, and that's what that's why I keep saying, and that's what I what I why I said that the church is such an important institution. It is our main identity now that we have been saved. God saved us into the church. It is very common today to say, "Oh, you know, I don't go to church because you know I love God and I love Jesus, but I've been hurt by the church." And I don't like the church. Well, you, you can't say that. You have been baptized into the church. You, if you believe, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are a member of the body. And just like we're going to see, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. You can't say, oh, I have no need of the church. I'm just, you know, my own little... Uh, pinky toe walking around and I have no need of the feet or the eyes or anything. And that, that's really how, like, I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's, that's the, the argument that Paul is making, right? The eye, he actually uh, calls the people to think, like, can you imagine an, an eye, like a body that is just an eye? Where would the sense of hearing be? Or if the body is just an ear, where would the sense of smelling be? I found this quote from uh, Don Carson uh, really, really helpful in, in talking about the diversity within the body of Christ. He says, 
the triune God loves diversity. So much so, as someone has remarked, that when he sends a snowstorm, he makes each flake different. We manufacture ice cubes. Doubtless, the church is in some sense like a mighty army, but that doesn't mean we should think of ourselves as undifferentiated khaki. We should be more like an orchestra, each part making its own unique contribution to the symphonic harmony. Dictators of the right and the left seek to establish their brand of harmony by forcefully imposing monotonous sameness, by seeking to limit differentiation. God establishes his brand of harmony by a lavish grant of highly diverse gifts, each contributing to the body as a whole. God loves diversity. Many people today say that they love diversity, but the world's diversity is just grouping people into, into different categories. But God's diversity, and God's diversity, He actually makes a body that is composed of individual members. And that's one of the main points here of Paul, the individuality of each member. But the fact that you are an individual, the fact that you were saved as an individual, the fact that you function as an individual does not mean that you are free or independent from the rest of the body. Rather, what Paul is saying is, yes, you are unique in that only you can be the left eye of the body but you cannot function as a left eye by yourself. You have to be connected to the body. So there are a few encouragements that, that I get from this passage here. One of them is, do not be discouraged if you think that, or I, I should say, do not be discouraged if you don't have the spiritual gift that you would like to have. Or do not be discouraged if you don't have the spiritual gift that someone else has. What do I mean by that? Well, look at, look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. So. Basically, Paul is saying, if, if you say, oh, well, you know, just because I don't have the gift of prophecy or just because I don't have the gift of, of tongues or the gift of teaching, that must mean that I'm not a part of the body. Therefore, I'm going to leave. And, and one really practical way in which I see this happening is what happens if you go to a charismatic church And everyone is speaking in tongues, and you are the only one that doesn't speak in tongues. You're probably going to leave, right? You're probably going to go find a church that fits more with your gifting or your personality. And, and you know, by the same token, if you go to a church where everyone is a teacher or everyone has you know, the gift of utterance of knowledge or wisdom, but no, not a single person speaks in tongues. And you think that your spiritual gift is, 
prophecy or speaking in tongues or faith, you're probably going to be discouraged. And, and you're, you're going to end up leaving. And so what, has ha- what I believe has happened, this is my theory. I don't know if, it's, if, it's, uh, if it can be proved or not. But my theory is that the reason why cessationist churches, churches that, that don't believe in the continuation of the gifts, the reason why they don't see some of, the, some of the, you know, the gifts that they don't believe continue, like tongues or prophecy, is because we're just made out of people that think exactly the same and that have very similar gifts. And my, my theory is that the reason why everyone in a charismatic or Pentecostal church speaks in tongues is that, well, I would say probably people who have that gift tend to gravitate towards those churches. And of course, we can talk about, you know, abuse and, and manipulation and, and uh, a pressure to speak in tongues. But, you know, I, I don't want to get into that right now. Um, but the encouragement is, it would actually be a lot better for us as a church if we stuck around. If even if we were different from the people in the church, even if we didn't have the one gift that the majority of the people in the church has, we would say, you know what? I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay in this church and, and I'm going to use my gift for the building up of the body, especially because there is a lack of this gift in this church. And so I think that we need to remember that God is sovereign and in his infinite wisdom, He has made us who he has made us to be and he has given us the gifts that he has given us and he wants us to use those gifts in the church that he has placed us, that he has made us a part of. Now, on the other hand, if you look at verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So just as if you feel like you don't have the spiritual gifts that that other people have, you shouldn't you know, you shouldn't say, I don't have, you know, I'm not a part of the body. On the other hand, um, the body should not work in such a way that everyone is doing the exact same thing. And that's, again, that's, that's another reason why I don't believe that everyone should speak in tongues. That's, that's one of the reasons I don't believe that a proof of someone being saved or having received the Holy Spirit is the speaking in tongues. Paul himself asks the rhetorical question, do all speak in tongues? And he's expecting negative response. But what profit would it be if everyone spoke in tongues? Or what profit would it be if, if everyone was a teacher? Right? We need the diversity of the spiritual gifts. We need all of the members of the body for the body to function properly. We need the ministry of each member. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no view, 
nor again nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you on the contrary the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and are indispensable and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that, that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What happens when you are walking in the dark in your house and you hit your pinky toe with the edge of the coffee table? Do you do you say oh well it was just my pinky toe it's okay. No, the whole your whole body is is in pain. Right? Your whole body suffers. What happens if someone compliments uh your nose? That would never happen to me. But <laughs> if someone were to say hey you have a great nose or you know oh look at those arms you're so strong. You say oh yeah it's just my arms. No, you you know your whole being is is Please, this is, oh wow, awesome. You know, so this, this is the argument here. We should not, you know, we should not think of any member of the body, whatever their gift is, however useful we think they are, we should not think any less of them. If any member of the body, if any member of the church is suffering, we should suffer with them. If any member of the church is honored, we should rejoice with them. And in fact, it, it not only says that we should suffer with, with the members of the body that suffer, but we actually, we should cover for them, right? In, instead of saying, oh, you know, I don't want to hang out with them. They're, they're still a little bit immature. They just became believers and, and they, you know, they still curse and they things like that. Well, those are the people that we should be covering for the most. Those are the people that we should be helping and trying to train and trying to disciple. And really, everyone needs discipleship. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So brothers and sisters, let us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We are just another member of the body. And the body, the church, only functions or functions properly when each member is doing their function. 
And so again, I tell you, do not be discouraged if maybe you don't, you would like to have the gift of prophecy, but you don't have it. Or do not be discouraged if you would like to have the gift of teaching, but you don't have it. God in his sovereignty has made you, has gifted you with the particular gift that he considered that was the best gift, not just for you, but for the church. And so instead of, you know, sitting there thinking, oh man, I wish I could do that. Say, hey, what can I do with the gift that I have received from God? How can I administer, how can I steward the grace of God given to me? How can I steward and administer this gift that has been given to me to bless and to build the body of Christ? So as we close this, um, this sermon, I just wanted to clarify a couple of things. I, I am planning on talking about each one of the listed spiritual gifts, and I would like to explain them a little bit more so that, you know, we have a better idea of what some of them mean. Uh, we're also going to get into chapter 13, where it talks about how we are supposed to use the gifts and the priority of love. Um, we're going to talk about the, the, uh, the order in the worship. Uh, we're going to touch on several of these topics, but I just felt like we needed to cover a little bit more of, of chapter 12. And so as we close our time, let us remember the work of the triune God in our salvation. As we close our time together, together let us remember that God the Father, in his love and his infinite mercy, sent his son, Jesus, and that the Lord Jesus, in his perfection, in his holiness, he lived a perfect life. He taught us how to serve others. He served us in the, in the ultimate way by going to the cross and dying for us. He rose again by the power of the Spirit. He ascended into heaven. And just as he had promised when he was exalted at the right hand of God, he sent his Holy Spirit to us. And now through the Spirit, first of all, we are baptized into the body of Christ. We are made members of the body of Christ. And we are empowered with gifts that we are commanded to use for the building up of one another. So as we take communion, let us remember the work of Jesus on the cross. As we take of the, of the cup, let us remember his blood that was shed for us. And as we take of the bread, let us remember the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross. And let us remember and think about the fact that we are now made members of the body of Christ. And so when we are taking communion together, we are expressing our union in Christ. We are expressing that we are members of the body of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross. 
Thank you for the sacrifice that he made for us, Lord. May we never take it for granted. Thank you for the, the blood that he shed for us. Thank you that that was the price that he paid for our salvation. Thank you for his body that was given for us. And thank you that through the Spirit, we are made members of the body of Christ. We are members of your son, Jesus. We are members of one another. I pray, Lord, that as we take communion together, we would do it as a family, as a unity, as a church. And that we would also remember that you have individually gifted us for your glory and for the building up of your body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.